Thanks for joining us. Coming up on NTD Business, a possible breakthrough in the debt limit deadlock. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy unveils a new plan to raise the debt ceiling and demands spending cuts at the same time. The tragic death of a young boy from a popular TikTok challenge. What exactly happened? The Biden administration's tax code could be subsidizing the Chinese Communist Party to the tune of millions of dollars. We look at how. There's not enough money for some electric vehicle rebates in New Jersey. For now, that is. Tesla cuts prices again. It's the sixth time this year. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us, Don Ma here. The stock market closed mixed today. The Dow fell 80 points or 0.2%. S&P was pretty much unchanged. NASDAQ gained four points. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy unveils a plan to raise the nation's debt limit by one and a half trillion dollars today. And at the same time, cut federal spending by three times that amount, setting the stage for a tense battle over government spending between the two parties. McCarthy unveiled the proposal on the House floor today. Would responsibly raise the debt limit into next year and provide more than $4.5 trillion in savings to the American taxpayer. The plan would cut some types of federal spending to 2022 levels and cap growth at 1% in years to come. Now, worth noting, it would not touch retirement or health programs. Think Social Security and Medicare. The plan would also repeal green energy incentives signed into law by President Biden last year. It's going to also boost demand, domestic oil and gas production, and scrap Biden's $400 billion student loan forgiveness effort. Those proposals are likely to be rejected by Biden and the Democrat-controlled Senate, but McCarthy said they would serve as the basis for future negotiations between the two parties. Washington will have to increase the nation's borrowing authority to avoid a default. The White House has insisted the debt limit be raised without any conditions. And Elon Musk blames central banks for printing too much money and causing inflation. He said this in part two of his interview with Tucker Carlson. The federal government, uh, unlike state governments or city governments uh, or individuals, can simply issue more money. Um, and that's what they did. Um, I mean, as old saying goes, there's no, there's no free lunch. Um, so uh, if you could just issue massive amounts of money without negative consequences, why don't we just take that to the limit and make everyone a trillionaire? Well, they, I mean, they tried that in Venezuela. How'd that, how'd that work out? The growth of money exploded during the pandemic. It was increasing at an unprecedented pace from around $16 trillion in March 2020 to around $22 trillion in April 2022. Musk says adding more money supply to the system faster than the increase in goods and services will lead to inflation. He believes that the only way to fix inflation is to increase productivity and output of goods and services. Speaking of Musk, Tesla has cut prices for some of its Model Y and Model 3 vehicles in the U.S. for the sixth time this year. The automaker is looking to spur demand even at the cost of its industry-leading profit margins. The cuts came ahead of the electric vehicle maker's first quarter earnings due out today. Tesla has cut the prices of its Model Y long-range and performance vehicles by $3,000 each. The price of the Model 3 rear-wheel drive dropped by $2,000. The company has cut the U.S. price for its base Model 3 by 11% so far this year. 
The price for its base Model Y has been slashed by 20%. The EV maker posted its biggest annual stock price drop in 2022. And the state of New Jersey has run out of EV incentive money. Temporarily, that is. NTD Sean Marshall has more. The state of New Jersey has had to pause an electric vehicle rebate program until July, simply because the demand is too high. They're running out of money. The Charge Up New Jersey program is an incentive of up to $4,000 when you buy or lease a new electric vehicle. Bob Billbrook gave me his angle on the EV situation. The interesting part is, <laughs> I think our current electrical grid will support even a 10% more increase on electric vehicle buys, which is going to be interesting because there needs to be a whole infrastructure build out um, for increasing the electrical grid for EVs. Charge Up New Jersey is part of that state's push for 100% clean energy by 2035. The New Jersey government says the program has given out an estimated $35 million in the current fiscal year and provided a total of $90 million in incentives for leasing or buying nearly 25,000 EVs since the program started in mid-2020. New Jersey isn't the only state running out of money. Oregon has also had to pause its rebate program. Automotive news publisher Paul Eisenstein had these comments. We've seen EV sales jump from less than 1% of the U.S. market back in 2019 to about 5% nationwide in 2022. And in the last couple of months, it's going up into the 8% range. Incentives may have had some influence on EV sale numbers, but widespread EV adoption still having some holdups. A recent poll suggests Americans are resisting the switch from gas-powered cars due to high prices during a strained economy and a limited recharging stations. Sean Marshall, NTD News. Is the Biden administration's tax code giving money to the Chinese Communist Party? This was a central question in a House hearing today where lawmakers questioned experts on the topic. In particular, lawmakers are worried President Biden's Inflation Reduction Act would give millions of dollars to Chinese firms through tax incentives. They're also worried an aggressive push for renewable energy would also benefit China because China has a lot of the minerals and resources needed to build these so-called green products, you know, like electric vehicles and solar panels. U.S.-China relations is tense. The Chinese Communist Party has been accused of crimes against humanity, persecuting minorities, unfair trade practices, and technology theft. CCP leader Xi Jinping has even openly stated his intention to restore China's global dominance. At the hearing, rare earth minerals expert Drew Horn said China will take advantage of the Inflation Reduction Act to achieve its goal. You're dealing with a very complex and sophisticated entity. It's one that watches us, that has massive resources, that looks at everything we do and looks for any moment of weakness or access to exploit a loophole so that it can take advantage and use it against us. So while the Inflation Reduction Act is meant to build domestic energy supply chains, to build domestic green energy material sourcing, what it has done in effect without the proper enforcement is allow workarounds for Chinese state-subsidized, state-owned entities to infiltrate inside our country. Horn went into detail. He said that Chinese firms can easily form shell companies, and these shell companies will get millions in tax credits from Biden's Inflation Reduction Act. 
Horn also said that when Chinese companies are doing business in the U.S., we must assume they're also illegally collecting sensitive information and stealing intellectual property. He equated these companies to Trojan horses. They've been doing it for decades, and their plan is to suppress us and prevent us from being a competitor to their world domination. I say again, their world domination is their goal. And if we look at how they're exploiting and mistreating their own people, they wish to do that to the entire world. And if we allow loopholes without the proper oversight and enforcement, we enable them to do so. Aside from giving Chinese firms potentially millions of dollars, the Inflation Reduction Act also sets aside over $400 billion to increase renewable energy use. But like I said earlier, China plays a substantial role in the renewable energy supply chain. Here's what the Institute for Energy Research's Kenny Stein told the lawmakers. The industry singled out for the most generous subsidy, which namely the wind, solar, and batteries industries, are not actually domestic industries. The inputs and components that will build the subsidized green energy system envisioned by the IRA will be coming from foreign countries, especially China. These subsidies will ultimately be funneled into the hands of Chinese companies. The problem with wind, solar, and batteries is that they require an enormous amount of minerals to build in the first place. For example, a typical electric car requires six times the mineral inputs of a conventional car, mainly due to the battery module. An onshore wind plant requires nine times more mineral resources than a gas-fired plant. Stein says China thoroughly dominates the world's mineral processing. It processes the majority of the world's nickel, cobalt, lithium, graphite, manganese, and rare earths. All of these are key inputs for renewables. North Carolina Representative Greg Murphy said in its pursuit of renewable energy, America is feeding China. We're not understanding, one, that China wants to take over the world, and we're feeding them for it. And by the way, they don't give a damn about climate. They're not doing anything about climate because they're pushing, pushing, pushing coal. Anyway, I just don't get it, guys. Come on, wake up and let's get to the table. Um, United States is literally giving our competitive advantage away to China as they race to cheat American companies. Um, Mr. Uh, I'm sorry here, I'm just a little, I just can't believe sometimes. Y'all wake up. Participants at the hearing suggested America should mine for resources within its own land rather than relying on China. They said the U.S. has enough resources to satisfy its own demand and has enough left over to export. While mining is harmful to the environment, they said America can do it more cleanly than other countries. Moving on. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit on Monday ruled against a Berkeley, California regulation that banned natural gas piping in new buildings. A district court had dismissed an action from the California Restaurant Association. Now, the Ninth Circuit Court has reversed that decision. An appellate judge ruled that laws made by the government takes priority over a law made by the city, meaning that congressional legislation trumps state and local regulations on natural gas appliances in households and restaurants. The judge added that Berkeley can't circumvent federal law by banning gas piping instead of appliances. The other two judges on the Ninth Circuit had similar opinions. Berkeley imposed a gas piping ban in July 2019. The city cited greenhouse gas emissions as one reason for its regulation. And Netflix delivered mixed results Tuesday. The streaming giant beat Wall Street estimates in earnings, but increased its subscriber base by only 1.75 million in the first quarter. It's well below estimates. Analysts predicted 3 million new subscribers. The company also said Tuesday it's delaying a planned crackdown on password sharing until the second quarter 
That's expected to lead to a drop in membership growth and revenue, which Netflix hopes will be temporary. Netflix also announced it's shutting down its DVD rental business after a 25-year run. It also sent out its last red envelope on September 29th. The company has reportedly mailed out more than 5 billion DVD and Blu-ray rentals to subscribers across the U.S. since 1998. Netflix stock down 3% today. And joining me now is Naveen Sarma, Senior Director at U.S. Media Telecom, S&P Global Ratings. Now, Netflix uh, beat earnings estimates, seems like, for the first quarter, but having a more conservative forecast. I mean, how are you looking at this? What should we take away from the earnings report? Sure. Well, thank you for having me for, uh, for once. Um, but I think the way to look at Netflix's earnings are, and, and we look at it from a longer-term perspective because we're credit analysts, they, they had very good numbers. Um, yeah, they might have disappointed on the subscriber numbers and they, their guidance to the street for the second quarter might be a little light in terms of subscribers as well. But what you saw from them was that they are rolling out paid sharing. They're rolling it out cautiously and making sure that they get it to work before they roll it out in the larger markets, including the United States. The advertising side, um, they talked about getting very strong advertising revenue. Um, and it may not be a lot of subscribers at the moment, and so it may not be a big dollar amount. But the fact that they said that the, the ARPU that they were getting from those subscribers was greater than the basic service um, internationally and, beta, and better than their, um, their 1549 service. So they're getting about $8 of advertising, which is a, a nice number, kind of in the same ballpark as kind of what Hulu does. Um, and then the, you know, the operating income number was a relatively light. There's a bit of FX in there. Um, but the free cash flow number was nice and strong, and that's something that we look at. What do you think investors are looking at uh, the most in this report? What are they focusing on? Yeah, I, I think they're gonna. I, I think this is really, you know, a good solid quarter. I think it's um, a wait and see to see that, you know, when when revenue starts to grow again and when margins start to expand. And that's probably a second half of the year um, phenomena. And part of that is because paid sharing isn't going to be rolled out until next quarter, and so we won't see the impact from that until the second half of the year. Now. Netflix obviously serves as a bellwether for the streaming industry. So I wonder, big picture-wise, can we see anything as a whole for the streaming arena? Yeah, it, I, I don't know if it says a lot about, um, you know, the other streamers and how they're going to perform in the quarter. Netflix has a number of specific issues. We talked about the, 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 the paid sharing. We talked about the advertising. They also rolled out a lot of new content. And so... Um, and so that helps with things like viewership and, um, and, and, and subscriber growth. I do think what's important from Netflix's standpoint when you look at the other peers is that Netflix is call it eight, eight or nine years ahead of all of their peers. And so when we look at things like free cash flow or operating income margins, these are things that the other peers are, are trying to achieve longer term. Um, you know, none of the peers are, are cash flow break even, none of the peers are EBITDA positive. And so when you look at Netflix and you say they're about 20% margins, that should be an aspirational goal for, for their peers. And the fact that they're generating, you know, three to three and a half billion dollars of free cash flow is their, is their guidance. That's also aspirational for, for all of their peers. So I wouldn't read into any of these numbers as this is where their peers are going to report this quarter. But this is kind of what we would like to see from their peers um, down the road. And just one more thought. It seems like the Fed is projecting that we might have a mild recession later this year. Is that going to have an impact? It could. Um, I think 
what you're seeing is a lot of subs or a lot of consumers have signed up for multiple services anywhere from you know four to five seems to be the number that that everyone has accepted when and and, and frankly consumers are paying about a hundred dollars a month for all of those services especially if they they pay for the uh the ones without advertising that's a big stress on consumers financials and so i think what you're going to see is you could you could potentially see consumers sign up for a service and then churn off when they're done watching whatever they what they whatever they wanted to watch and so you, you might see elevated churn you might also see consumers sign up for two or three services at any one point rather than the five that they currently have so i think that there's 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 certainly an impact from an economic recession on the number of, of services people will sign up for all right i see uh, thank you so much today Naveen. it was such a pleasure talking to you thank you very much for having me U.S. consumers are starting to fall behind on their credit card loan and payments. That's according to executives at the country's biggest banks. Here's Wells Fargo CFO talking about the issue on a recent earnings call. As expected, we've seen consumer delinquencies and losses gradually increase. While most consumers remain resilient, we've seen some consumer financial health trends gradually weakening from a year ago, and we've continued to take credit tightening actions to position the portfolio for a slowing economy. Wells Fargo has set aside $1.2 billion in the first quarter to cover potential soured loans. Citigroup has also made larger provisions for credit losses. If economic conditions get worse, experts say it could lead to credit deterioration throughout 2023 and 24. In terms of banks' profits, several major banks have reported earnings for the latest quarter. Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, Chase, Wells Fargo and Citigroup all beat forecasts as they earn a windfall from rising interest rates. But industry chiefs warned that the strength would tail off this year as a recession looms and customer delinquencies climb. And we'll take a short break now, but if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please email us at business at ntd.com. Still to come, another death from a TikTok challenge. A young boy took a dozen Benadryl pills at once. A photographer wins a major award for his AI-generated work, but turns it down to spark a debate over the use of AI in the industry. That and more coming up on NTD Business. teenage boy in Greenfield, Ohio, has died after attempting a TikTok challenge. 13-year-old Jacob Stevens participated in a challenge on the social media platform earlier this month. The challenge involved taking over a dozen Benadryl pills. A dozen! The recommended dose is one to two tablets every four to six hours for children 12 and over. Stevens and his friends believed that ingesting the pills would make him hallucinate. But instead, he had a seizure. After participating in the challenge, Stevens spent six days in the hospital. He then became brain dead, and his parents made the heart-wrenching decision to take him off life support. TikTok is already facing congressional scrutiny due to the threat posed by its connection with the Chinese Communist Party. Stevens' tragic death is sure to exacerbate lawmakers' concerns. The Federal Trade Commission says it's working to address concerns linking social media to mental health issues in teenagers. On Tuesday, FTC Commissioner Alvaro Bedoya testified at a subcommittee hearing of the House Energy and Commerce Committee. 
You said there's evidence that suggests some uses of social media do hurt certain groups of teens and children. But he cautioned that important nuances and caveats exist in the research. Bedoya announced the agency is actively working to hire in-house psychologists to look at these concerns. He also shared that the FTC has been consulting with public health officials and medical professionals to understand the available scientific evidence on the matter. A German photo media artist is making headlines. His AI-generated image won him a major photography award, but he turned down that prize on the award stage. Let's find out why. Boris Aldugson created this picture using artificial intelligence. He ran a test by entering it to the Sony World Photography Awards. I wanted to see if uh, competitions are prepared for AI images to be handed in, and uh, they are not. In March, Eldixson learned he is the winner in the open competition, creative category. He reached out to the award organizers and informed them about the nature of his image. It was promised that I get the questions soon. I was waiting for 20 days, nothing. And that was basically leading to the point where I said, I need to do something disruptive, something they cannot be silent about like they have been in the past. So he took to the award stage and refused the award. The awards organization responded that the jury knew the work was an AI image, but added that it stopped the conversation because Eldixson deliberately misled them. But for Eldixson, the award missed an important beat. It neither confirmed that AI creations could win nor rejected them. It's very um, important that they are aware that um, there will be more and more AI-generated images in photo competitions, and it should not be mixed up. It's two different things. They look the same, but they shouldn't be in the same category. Eldixson says what AI brings to humanity is unpredictable, even unstoppable. He also sees risks this technology poses to society, especially in journalism. Of course, you don't need AI in photojournalism. We want this to be authentic because we need an authentic basis of, of facts we can talk about and find different points of view and a compromise in a democracy. Eldixson believes maintaining the infrastructure for fact-checking is still essential, though it could be time-consuming and costly. And we need we need to invest in this because if we don't, uh, democracy is going to fail. We will be manipulated by whoever wants to. Eldixson hopes to distinguish AI photography going forward, like using specific terms to indicate their differences. Still to come, Connecticut divers discover a submarine wreck in Long Island Sound. The Army sank the sub in 1946, but never disclosed where. We'll have that story coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Connecticut divers have discovered the wreck of an experimental submarine in Long Island Sound. The vessel was built in 1907, but was deliberately sunk a few decades later. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. Richard Simon and his team discovered a 90-foot-long submarine called the Defender on Sunday. He'd been interested in the story of the Defender for years. So the Defender was one of these mysteries. I was trying to figure out when exactly I learned about it. Probably 2005, 2001 from a Connecticut state archaeologist. And it was one of those, we know there's a submarine in Long Island Sound, we don't know where. 
Simon spent months studying sonar and underwater mapping surveys of the bottom of the sound. He poured through government documents obtained under the Freedom of Information Act, all to identify any anomaly that fit the size of the sub. So whenever we're looking for a shipwreck, I try and look at where it's not, right? Because it helps you cross out process of elimination. Don't look here. We know there's something here. So doing that research, I came across a target that said it was a wooden wreck. I looked at the scans and I said, that's not wood. The submarine was originally built for the Navy, but the vessel wasn't chosen for the contract. The Army Corps of Engineers sank the sub in 1946, but never disclosed where. It was legitimately hiding in plain sight, like it's kind of interesting from talking with everyone who's looked for it for all these years, but it is hiding in plain sight. It's on the charts, it's known about in Long Island Sound, just no one knew what it was, so we identified it. Simon and his team planned to spend the summer diving, filming, and taking photographs of the sub. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And that's it today from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please email us at business at ntd.com. Thanks for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.